For those who don't know me, I'm Greg, and it's really great to be with you this morning. We are in week three of our Rooted series, our series on foundations. Um, So if you were here in week one, you'll remember that Pastor Simon taught us why we have to have foundations. And he gave a great analogy. He told us a story about a time he was free labor for his own dad to build foundations for the new uh, room they were going to build on their house. And what he learned about foundations is they have to be straight. You have to make sure that they're straight. You have to make sure that they're crack-proof. And you have to make sure that they're strong enough so that God can build His purposes and His will on our life. And then last week, Pastor Areco spoke to us about the foundation of lordship, that Jesus is not just our Savior, He is our Lord. In fact, He can't be our Savior until He is our Lord. And what lordship really means is that we make Him first, that what He says is true and what He says goes. And so I get the privilege to talk to you this morning about sin and repentance. If lordship is right in your life, if that foundation is straight and crack-proof and strong, then sin isn't even an issue. But just in case it is, I want to remind you that the Bible talks a lot about sin. In fact, Jesus talks about sin. Won't you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading from verse 2. And it says this, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And this, those who heard, began to go at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave, leave your life of sin. And so can you see that this woman who is caught in adultery and thrown at the feet of Jesus, and they ask a question, and they, they don't care about her. They don't care about right or wrong. They want to test Jesus. And then Jesus, just being who he is, turns the whole situation around. And he stands up for her by pointing out the hypocrisy of her culture. She's caught in the act of adultery. She didn't do that alone. Where's the man? The men. Why aren't they thrown at the feet of Jesus? But as Jesus restores her, in verse 11, he says to her, who's condemning you? She says, no one. He says, well, neither do I. But then he says, go and leave your life of sin. In some version, it says, go and sin no more. And so in the midst of restoring her, in the midst of giving her back her dignity and her hope, Jesus acknowledges that because of the hypocrisy of of her culture, because she was somehow placed in this desperate situation, instead of turning to God, she turned to sin to fix it. And that was not acceptable. Now that she's been restored, she can't just go back into the life she was living before. 
She has to leave that life behind. And I think we love the story because Jesus is so tender. Jesus is so merciful. There's no shame on her. He doesn't accuse her of anything. And we love that idea that Jesus might just treat us that way on the day we're caught out in our sin. And, it, and our sin is exposed. But at the same time, he helps her understand that no matter what her situation or circumstance, no matter what her culture says, her sin is real and she has to leave it behind. You see, in too many areas in our world today, we, can, we try and justify sin because we think it's necessary to survive. We think that if we don't sin or if we don't think, do things our way, it will never be done for us. That if we don't go after what we want by ourselves, it won't come to us. But the first thing we have to settle about sin is that because God is perfectly righteous, perfectly just, and perfectly merciful, He is the only one who gets to tell us what sin is. We don't get to decide. Because He is the creator God who made us, He knows the optimum environment that we will flourish in. And so He says, do this and don't do that, out of love for us. And we cannot choose for ourselves what is sin and what is righteousness. And you know, there was a time in the history of Israel where the priests of Israel started leading the people astray, and they started putting up their own human standard of, of what sin and righteousness is. And God raises up the prophet Isaiah, and in chapter 5, verse 20 of Isaiah, he prophesies to the priests of Israel, and he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's what we're doing in our world today. So in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the words translated in the Bible for sin donate this idea of us missing the mark, of us not living up to the standard. And as I've just said, God has set the mark. He has painted that bullseye exactly where he wants it. He has set a standard for us that he expects us to live by. Here's what's interesting about that standard. It's impossible for us to live by ourselves. God did that on purpose, not because he's cruel, but because he wants us to understand that we cannot do it on our own. Every single one of us are in the same boat. Every single one of us have sinned. And let me help you out with it. There's kind of two extremes on the scale of sin. Either it's self-righteousness or depravity. And there's a sliding scale of how we move between those. But both of those are sin. Self-righteousness, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I go to church, I go to prayer meetings, but that's what makes me good. And that's all that makes me good. It's sin, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's self-reliance. The other side is I just do whatever I want to that makes me feel good. That's depravity. Both of those are sin, and their consequences are exactly the same. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> it's good news for us. None of us are alone. <laughs> Whatever side we're on, we have all sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all lived way under the standard. And yet we keep trying to work to get to that standard. 
Again, in the beginning of Isaiah, God tells the priests of Israel, the nation of Israel, you keep trying to show me your good deeds and how loyal you are to the, to the, the, the rules and laws I've given you. But when you hold that up to me, all I see is stinking, filthy rags. Because your attempt at righteousness does not impress me. And so what is God impressed by? Well, he's impressed when we actually take the way he has given us to stand in righteousness. And what is that? That is Jesus Christ. We will never live up to a standard. And so we've got to get over ourselves. And that's the issue of lordship. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then I've got to do it his way. You see, Jesus is the only human being, and I understand this. He was fully God, but fully human. And when he walked on this planet, he pushed into God through faith, just like you and I have to. He found God in his humanity, not in his godness. The Bible says he was tempted in every single way, in every category we will ever face. He was tempted and he won victory. And that's got to be every category, because if he left one category, where he, one category where he was untempted, it means that that space will never have victory. In his humanity, he overcame it. How? Through faith in God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way you and I will do that. And what the Bible says is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. Well, what does that mean? It means the only way I can possibly live up to that mark, the only way I can hit that bull mark, bull, bull's eye, is if I step into Jesus Christ. If I stop doing it in my own strength and I just let him be my righteousness. But that means my whole life is going to change. And so even for those of us who are the redeemed of God, can we just get honest here today? We still sin. And that's because for some reason, we want to pull away and do our own thing. You know what I believe that reason is? It's because there are lies inside of our heart about who we are, about who God is, and about who the world, what the world is. And so we're going for Jesus. We believe him. We believe he's the son of God. But because of a lie inside of us, we can't receive it. And let me help you with this. When Jesus Christ came to live inside of you, when you said, I need a Savior, and the only way I'm going to get saved is to make you Lord, so I'm doing it, Jesus. He came to live inside of your heart. And truth hit your heart. And stuff changed. But there's a space where you are responsible to go over after the lies you believe. Because you have the Word of God now. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, convicting you. And so... God needs you to get honest and say, actually, I don't think you're that good. Actually, I'm not convinced you love me. Actually, I think you treat others better than me. Whatever that lie is, because until we can acknowledge that lie, he cannot come and speak truth to it. And this is why we keep pulling away. St. Augustine of Hippo said that sin is a word, deed, or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God. And I believe that if we have to boil down the issue of sin, it is as simple as this. Who am I agreeing with? It, sin is about agreement. Am I agreeing with God or myself? Am I agreeing with God or the world? Am I agreeing with God or what people say? Who am I agreeing with? It is as simple as that. 
I believe that sin is my values bumping into God's. I want, I need, I must have. But what does God say? Sin is simply disagreeing with God. And so this is some stuff I've learned in my life about what happens when the lies I believe in my heart cause me to want to disagree with God. So I fully believe that God is good, and I sing the song, you're a good, good father with gusto and great joy, and then tomorrow I wake up and something in my life doesn't feel good, and guess what? Suddenly I'm believing the lie, because I want this in my life, or I don't want this in my life, and God isn't doing it, and then suddenly all the songs I've sung just go out the door. And then I realize that there is a lie in my soul. That there's a lie in my understanding of who I am, of who God is, and of who the world is. And I want to tell you, the most common lie the enemy throws at me is that God doesn't love me. Is that I'm not worthy of love. Is that I don't have what it takes and I'm never going to be good enough. And as soon as I give into that, that lie, consequences of sin start hitting my life. Because I'm going to go after that stuff by myself. Wherever I agree with that lie in my life and I disagree with God, there are serious consequences that come to my life. And this is why God hates sin, because it devastates my life. Everything we prayed about now, what we've seen in our nation this week, that's what the devastation of sin looks like. Think about it for a second. You see, we think we can play with things and we can play with sin because we don't feel the burn right now. But then we live through what we've had to live through this week. And really, all that we lived through this week was a full realization of what's actually gone on for the last decade. Eventually, the devastation manifests. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And this is why repentance is necessary. Repentance is very necessary. And we have to learn how to repent well and properly and quickly. Acts 3 verse 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now there are two main ideas about repentance in the Bible. The word most commonly um, translated as repentance in the Old Testament is teshuva, and it literally means to turn back, to turn the other way. There is a slide there with those definitions on. To return or to turn away from. And the idea in the Old Testament is people didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. There wasn't that inner conviction. They had the law of God. And so it was very clear all the time, either you were obeying the law or you weren't. When you realized you weren't obeying the law, you turned back. You turned back to the, to the way of God. You turned around. The New Testament broadens this idea, and the word most commonly translated as repentance in the New Testament is metanoia, to think differently, to change both your mind and your heart. And we need to understand this. You know, in our Western culture, we think about emotion and cognition as two completely different things. We think that we think with our brain and we feel with our heart. Well, no. Everything is tied together. If you start thinking Simon's looking at you funny, how long before you feel something about how funny Simon is looking at you? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. If Simon is looking at you funny and you start thinking he's looking at how long before you feel the emotions of Simon looking at you? They are integral. My English is forsaking me. I should be preaching in Zulu this morning. (laughs) They are absolutely entwined in each other and we cannot separate them. (laughs) Imagine if I did start doing that. That would be very supernatural. (laughs) Metamorphosis, metanoia. Um, But really, for us today as Christians, both of these are essential in repentance. I have to turn back to God, but I have to change my thinking. I have to change my feeling. I want to tell you this. Lies in our soul feel like something. When I feel unloved, I'm going to go and find love wherever I can. We call that fornication. At least the Bible does. I don't know what we call it in the world today, all kinds of other things. But the issue is if I believe that I am unlovable and I'm condemned to loneliness for my whole life, I am going to go after it wherever I can. And all the songs I sing and all the prayers I prayed about Lordship go out the window because it feels like something. And I want to make repentance a lot lighter than we think it is. If sin is simply disagreeing with God, well, then repentance is simply coming back into agreement. And repentance is a beautiful, wonderful, glorious thing. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. Because repentance opens up God's favor like that. Repentance makes heaven's resources available to my whole soul like that. And we want to make it a weird, hard thing. And literally all it is, the second I realize I'm in disagreeing with God, I just repent and I come back to him. And so I want to talk about two things that repentance isn't. Repentance is not confession. 1 John 1 verse 8 to 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a beautiful scripture. I love this scripture. This scripture has saved my soul. I'm still a Christian today because of this scripture. But confession is not repentance. What happens when we confess? Well, the word in the Hebrew that, that is translated as cons- confession literally means to agree with the fact that you have sinned, to simply agree. So in English, that's why we say the confession of my faith. Confession means to acknowledge. It means to recognize, oh my gosh, this is the sin in my life. I can't receive forgiveness until I recognize that. If I don't think I'm sinning or if I refuse to accept that I'm sinning, I don't need a savior. I don't need forgiveness. And so what the scripture is saying here is if you want forgiveness and you want to feel the fruit of forgiveness, you have to confess. But can you see that here it's not talking about teshuva or metanoia. It's just acknowledging I've sinned and I need forgiveness. And so confession is only the first step in repentance. It's not repentance. Secondly, repentance is not apologizing. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And I've realized in my life, I start feeling bad about something and I just start apologizing. But I don't go after the lie in my soul. I'm just looking at symptoms that are manifesting in my life. And I start apologizing because I feel bad. And as children, we were learned, if you, if you apologize before dad finds out, you might not get the hiding. But that's a lie. 
Because you might not get the hiding, but all the consequence of what you did later on, it's going to come visit. Because later on, Dad found out it wasn't just one window that we broke. Or we ate all the cookies that we weren't supposed whatever. So you're still going to get the hiding. But even more so in life, if you're just apologizing, it makes you feel better. But nothing has changed. Can I just kill a sacred cow for a moment? Let's talk about accountability. We talk about it in the church. Books are in... We do it wrong. Let me help you here. I am the counseling pastor of this house, so I counsel a lot of people. I know we are doing it wrong. Because of talking to so many of you, I figured out how we need to do it right. And I've been applying it in my life, so let me help you here. The first thing we do... Okay, so let me just explain. So why do we want accountability? Because the point of accountability is to change behavior. So accountability also isn't confession and apologizing. Okay, so let me help you. The first thing we do wrong is I go to Simon and I say, I've got a problem. Will you hold me accountable? What have I done wrong? I've just made him responsible. I'm not owning anything. You didn't phone me last week. And let's just get honest, size, men, it's a lot around sexual stuff, pornography, masturbation, all those crazy things. If I have to ask you those questions, I'm just developing a weird interest in your sex life. I don't want that. So here's the first thing we've got to get right. You are making yourself accountable. You come to me, I come to Simon, I say, I think I've got a problem in this area, um, and I would like to make myself accountable to you. So what does that mean? It means I need to give account. Yeah, and Simon's allowed to ask me every now and again, oh, I haven't heard from you for a while, but it's my responsibility to tell him what's going on. So I make myself responsible for getting out of my own trouble. Secondly, now let's just be honest. My guys know, if you're not telling me before or during, I don't want to know three weeks later. Confession is good for the soul. Confession is how we receive forgiveness. But if you're not telling me before or during, it means you don't really want to stop. You just want to feel better. Hear me. Hear me. Are you getting this? Now, here's the third thing we do wrong. We focus on the behavior. Now, the behavior is telling us something. The behavior is a symptom of a lie, I believe, of feelings and thoughts that are not in alignment with Jesus Christ. So what I'm actually way more interested in is I want you to make yourself accountable to me about those things. So here's an example. A young man struggling with pornography. We, I teach him this. He's, he's, he's doing it. He's telling me before and after. Sometimes, it's a, I mean, before or during. It's a little awkward sometimes. However, what we're figuring out is that there's a space in his soul where he feels inadequate. And things happen in his day, things happen in his week that trigger what? The inadequacy. And I realize when he, when he makes himself accountable to me about the, in, the feeling of inadequacy, we don't have to be accountable about the pornography. Because now, now there's something I can actually pray in and I can see fruit come immediately. Instead of just this constant repenting of pornography and going back to it. Now we're dealing with the actual issue. And he's starting to realize that before God, he is always adequate. Not because of anything he does or is, but because of who God is. So when his girlfriend breaks up with him, when his boss shouts at him, he goes to Jesus, not to the other thing. And so if you, now I want to, if you want to be accountable and you're not willing to do this, be quiet. Seriously. Until you are ready to repent, leave us alone. 
Okay. Please be accountable. Please be ready to repent. But you're getting where I'm going with this. So what is repentance? <laughs> Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so repentance is an intentional and calculated turning away from lies, from incorrect beliefs, and from bad attitudes to embrace the fullness of God's truth in thought, word, and deed. Believing isn't enough. Believing might save us, but receiving is what transforms us. And all of us, the only reason we can't receive, when I know when I'm struggling to receive God's love, it's because of the lie. And I have to go after the lie. Repentance is acknowledging where the root of the action of sin is in my life and locate it and eradicate it by fully believing God's truth. We've got to stop just focusing on behavior. Behavior is damaging. The behavior we saw this week or we heard about this week is very damaging, but it started in a whole bunch of lies long ago. That if we could have got the, Jesus into those lies and healed it, we wouldn't be struggling with the behavior. So the behavior is a symptom of something. It is not the issue. And then... Lastly, repentance is having the mind of Christ in every area of my life and living actively from it. This is what the Bible says. If you are a believer, if you've been born again, you have the mind of Christ. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to plead for it. You actually just need to let it make decisions for you. It's there. You have it. So live from it. And then lastly, I just want to encourage us. We've got to be quick to repent. Again, in my life, I've realized the length it takes from sin to repentance is how good I believe God is. And I also want to just come back to another point. Feeling bad. God couldn't care less about you feeling bad. He absolutely cares about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we feel bad. It's called penance. Have you heard of that? Penance. It is an extra-biblical doctrine. There is no story of penance in the Bible. There are stories of restitution, which if you've sinned and you've caused damage or you've stolen, you give back, you make it right. You feeling bad is just trying to be self-righteous. And, when, and the whole issue of penance is I've got to be good enough to even come to God to ask for forgiveness. Can you see? It's extra-biblical. Where does it exist? It doesn't. We sin, we go straight to Jesus. Why? Because you are your own priest. And you have access beyond the veil like that. And so stop feeling bad and repent. And I'm about to end and you can all go home and take a deep breath. <laughs> Remember what 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 said, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. See, feeling bad means nothing. Understanding, oh my gosh, if I continue to believe this lie, this is the devastation that's going to come. And what we saw this week is that the devastation of sin is just not, it's not just for my life. The devastation of sin manifests in my relationships. It manifests in my community. It manifests in my nation. And so stop feeling bad and be quick to repent. And then here is some more good news. 
2 Corinthians 6 verse 12 says, for, for he says, for the Lord says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And it's, if, as I've been talking, you've realized, you know, there's lies you believe. You've been confessing and apologizing, but you haven't been repenting. If you're suddenly realizing, okay, so all those things I'm addicted to and all those habitual things, either it's falling into self-righteousness or depravity, I haven't really repented. Why don't you just close your eyes and where you are, just come back to Jesus. You've disagreed with him. Now just agree with him. All you need to say is, Lord, you're right. This is wrong. I've been trying to justify this, but it's not on anymore. And just, just tell him that you're feeling godly grief and you want to change and then ask him for the strength to do it. Just where you are, just in your words, in your heart. Just tell him that. Father God, we know that you're treating us just like you treated that woman caught in adultery right now, that your mercy, your tenderness, your grace is on us, that you want to restore our dignity, you want to restore our purpose and destiny in you, but you're also saying to us, now go and leave your life of sin. And God, we need your strength. We need your help. Holy Spirit, help us. God, where we've, where we've not done accountability right, help us to recommit and do that. If we've never been accountable to somebody, show us who that person is and give us the courage to make ourselves accountable. But Lord, we repent now. We repent, God. We teshuva and we metanoia, Lord God. We, we turn around and we, we change our thinking, God. And God, whatever lies, whatever lies are really the root of our sin, would you come with your truth and your love and continually, God, speak to that. And may we get honest with you with that, God. There is no shame in you, Lord God. You know everything about us. Nothing we tell you shocks you. Nothing about us shocks you, God. You know everything. May we be a people quick to repent, Lord Jesus. And if there's any of you here and you realize that maybe you've never, ever repented, maybe you've never, ever made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, as we end the service, I'm going to ask you to please be courageous. Please come down in this moment. Now is the day of favor. Now is the day of repentance. Come down. People will pray with you and help you to figure out how to do that better. But the Lord bless you. Uh. I feel like Oprah because there's more. There's more. Because uh, this morning we have in church. We're not doing church. We're having church this morning. So yesterday I was at the Pilansburg and we were driving around and there was an elephant that decided to sleep in the road for an hour. And there was no way of going around it, over it, through it. You know, I was trying to think of Sunday school songs. It, it wasn't happening. It just, it, and so I turned off the car. Mark, I hoped like a rare bird would land on the bonnet. No birds came. I just had to sit there. And God reminded me how rushed I am. So busy, busy, busy. And I know we're sitting in church here and we said, okay, we've done worship, done the offering. We even did a little bit of a thing up here with men and we did baby dedication. Like we're ticking all the boxes and, and I want to put an elephant in front of you this morning. To slow down. Uh, and just to slow down. And so before you leave those doors this morning, if you think you're sitting where you're sitting by accident, it's not an accident. If you think that your baby was dedicated today because of whatever, it was just a prayer. No, God ordained where you're sitting today. God ordained you to be here, to be sitting next to the people you're sitting with. And so before you walk out the door today, 
please won't you one either affirm the person you're with either offer them a prayer and encouragement because God knows we need an encouragement in our country at this time so don't don't rush out so it's not an elephant it's a speed bump as you leave this morning right second thing is uh, when you're at work this week and people start saying oh gosh this place it's just overwhelming tell them you know a place where women can feel safe tell them you know a place where people can be free if people are saying I'm feeling overwhelmed tell them you know a place and a person that that burden is and what we experienced here this morning is not just for us but it's for everybody and so if uh, somebody says to you oh, I'm tired of this country say come I want to show you what our country can be like and bring them to church next week um, we've got lots of seats open over there we should see them full